This week's guest is someone that had all the birders dreaming of a white Christmas. I chat to Declan Yordan, the young birder who this past weekend discovered a white wagtail at Sapi Stanga on the KwaZulu-Natal north coast. This is only the second time that this species has been recorded in the region. We chat about this find as well as other insights into birds and birding. Bring new life into your garden this spring with Westerman's Wild Bird Seed, a delicious seed mix attracting a wide variety of wild birds to your garden. Now available in a 10 kg bag plus 1 kg free. Find it at various pet and lifestyle retailers across South Africa, online and in store. Westerman's for the love of birds. My name is Adam and this Pride South African podcast is your weekly source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, and well, anything that we think birders will want to hear about. So, welcome to the show. There are two easy ways to support us that will cost you nothing to do. The first way is by telling someone else about the podcast. So if you enjoyed the content in the show, please share it with someone else. A second way is by following this podcast on whatever platform you are listening to it on, and take some time to rate and comment on it. These two steps help us to grow the podcast and to reach new listeners. Please drop us either a direct message on any of our social media platforms or send us an email on info at and tell us where you listen to the show from. We would love to get to know you better. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode of the Birding Life Podcast. So, as I said earlier, we're chatting to Declan Yordan and really excited to chat to him. So, before we chat about the famous bird that you discovered this past week, I just want to firstly just welcome you to the show. I know you've been on the youth podcast, but welcome to the the big podcast. Yeah, thank you. Pretty apt now that I'm 18. I've always been, I think the last time I did it, I was 17. So now I'm an adult and now I'm on the big podcast. Yeah, when you get 18, you get promoted to the Bully podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, you've obviously introduced yourself on the youth podcast, but there's listeners from all around the world and a lot of them will not have any idea about who the heck you are. So for the sake of listeners who do not do not know who you are, tell us a bit about yourself, Declan. Yeah, well, my name is Declan Yodan. I've been birding since I was about three years old, but obviously back then I wasn't particularly good at it. Um, I've only really started taking it seriously around 2018, um, only really kicked my list off there as well otherwise i just went in the book and said yeah i've seen this i also do photography and herping as well i'm starting to get into my plants now as well dude i struggle with birds i don't know how you managed to with snakes frogs plants i mean it's insane dude no I'm, I'm i'm struggling on the plants i've only just started i think i've seen like five or six species of orchids so far and that's well that's what i'm mainly into is my orchids so, yeah, well, I've got you on the show, and we'll talk about yourself a little bit more as we get into the show. But this past week, on Saturday, um, a message started going out, a grainy picture of a wagtail that caused quite a stir in South African birding. Um, later on, it was confirmed that it was a white wagtail. It's only the second record in um, the region. And really exciting. And I know for myself, I went there on Tuesday at about 10 o'clock. We got there about lunchtime, and we... We arrived there at Sapi in Stanga on the KwaZulu-Natal North Coast. And, you know, honestly, if I'd seen that bird on the field, if I'd seen it amongst all the Cape Wagtails, I would have probably just written it off as another Cape Wagtail. And I just first want to say I'm really blown away by the skills you had to identify that bird. So tell us a bit about how you discovered. How did you 
come to the place where you saw the spurt. I know the weather on Saturday also, just as a frame of reference, was absolutely terrible. How did you get to the place where on Saturday afternoon, in the midst of this pouring, bucketing rain, you looked across this stinky, this stinky place at Sappy Stanga, and you said, that's not a Cape Wagtail, but that is a white wagtail. Um, yeah, I guess it is. And if, you really, if you're not a birder and you have to think about it, then it definitely is very strange. But um, we actually originally went to Sapi for the lesser jacana that had been seen there and decided to travel down the road to a little mud patch where we get, well, I suppose it's not particularly little, where we usually get uh, western yellow wagtails because I need them for the year. So we went there and we were scanning all the wagtails, funnily enough. And then we saw one that was slightly smaller, slightly whiter, and had a very, very black bib. And it was, and it was a different shape. And everything about this bird was just, was just slightly different. But I didn't want to say it was anything special, just in case it was a weird morph of something or just a funny looking juvenile. So I took some photos and I sent it on my group and then my group, uh, youth group that's mostly just a friends of us. And, they all said that they think it's a white wagtail. So I started sending around, and then everyone else confirmed that it was a white wagtail. Trevor Hardiker said it, and your parents said it, and from there I reported it, and people started flooding in. I think what was quite interesting about that is when we were when we were birding at this like mud place on Tuesday, someone was there, and they obviously had been to Sappy Stanger before, and they were talking about how they go and spend hours and hours in the the hide. And they were quite surprised that this little mud flat actually had fantastic birds in it. And I think that's often what happens, you know, when people go to places like Sappy and other places, they almost rush to get to the, the hard or something and they skip all these other places along the way that are really fantastic for birding. I know if you go to Sappy, almost as soon as you turn off the, onto the dust road and you drive along the river, the birding is already absolutely fantastic. Oh, it's stunning. I mean, in the first maybe kilometer of the road i've had rufus bellied herons uh rufus wing cysticulars red face cysticulars red cap robin chats i've even had a little bit further than that i've had finfoots um previously many many years ago i had lesser jacana there and in the mud patches pulled in caspian plover before which unfortunately i did not see there and um western yellow wagtail is quite reliable there at the right time of the year so declan for the sake of birders out there that have never seen a white wagtail and you know i would even dare to suggest there's probably birders out there that might not actually you know it might not even have been a bird for southern african birders that might have, have even been in their frame of reference you know what are some of the, the 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 key identification things to separate a cape wagtail from a from a white wagtail well it can't it, it's similar color wise to a cape wagtail but it's slightly paler and then plumage-wise, it's sort of like a juvenile white wagtail, but it doesn't have that black face and heavy eyebrow. The white extends all the way to its forehead and then around to the other side. And it's that same gray as a cape wagtail, slightly paler, and then it doesn't have that white wing bar that a pied wagtail has. Ever so slight, slightly smaller body size, but you'll probably only notice that if they're all together. And he never really stopped to do anything else he was sort of feeding constantly which could be the reason he's gone now maybe he was just stocking up to leave um also very very striking black and white in the tail uh bib is also much much darker than the other wagtails even pied wagtails a little bit darker and it's a slightly different shape it like 
almost forms a C up onto its chin. And then once it gets older, I believe it goes all the way under the R. And then above onto the cap. Something that they were pointing out when we were there, and I didn't really see it until I saw it. That makes any sense. That like that statement doesn't make much sense. But they were speaking about that. It has like this white, white face, this white wash on the face. And you know, when when I was first looking, I was looking at Cape Wagtails and like, is that the bird? Is that the bird? And they were saying, no, it wasn't. And they were saying, look for the white on the face. And we managed to get better pictures. And when you see that white on the face, it's got like where the where the where the Cape Wagtail almost has that like gray wash on the face. It has that white wash, and it's yeah, it is quite distinctive. When when you see it at first, it's it becomes harder to to not see. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. People are saying they that they they don't have any experience with the bird, and they don't know if they're going to find it by themselves. So a lot of people are asking for me to be there actually. Um, but once you notice a bird, everyone said once you first see it, it's like almost unmistakable. It's 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 so different from the other birds in the field that you, it's it's almost impossible to confuse. From the back, I can understand it, but that, like you said, the very very white face, it's just completely different from the other wagtails. And it's interesting when when I was looking at the distribution maps. I mean, it's way out of range. It's not even anywhere close to being in range. And I think this is why you know for people that are listening that might have no idea why people would drive so far to see a drab bird without much color in it you know and you see how far the range this bird is it's a very very special sighting in the sub-region yeah i know um, everyone is saying they've driven so long for just a weird looking cape wagtail and um it's so weird to think about how birders will drive hours on end through the most terrible roads just see to see this little little brown job or gray job in this case but it's a similar case with the wood warbler i mean that popped up, that's just a brown bird with a bit of yellow on it. And it's so small, busy all the time, jumping around. But even that, people drove hundreds of kilometers for that bird. And it's just a little brown bird. It's quite funny. You know, you got a sappy stanger. And for someone who's never been there, the place absolutely is disgusting. It smells like terrible. I mean, you would never go there unless you're a birder. And it's amazing. Um, the birds that place turns up, it's like... It's like you're sitting in the flipping toilet or something, and that's how it smells. And it's just, but it just draws birds. I don't know. It's a sewage works there. It must be so many bugs that that place pulls in, and the birds just love it. But even if you don't think about bugs, it's had little bitten, Eurasian bitten. It's had a few heron species, spotted crake. That probably eats quite a few bugs as well. But fin foot and that also occur there, which won't feed on bugs. So it's a bit weird to think about that. At a sewage work, you just get all these hundreds of bird species. Uh, so, Declan, you might, you're on the show, and obviously a lot of people might listen and say, like, yeah, you're very young and that kind of thing. But I've, you know, obviously through the bird club, I've got to know you quite well and just been really impressed with your your level of birding. You're a fantastic birder, one of the best birders I know, and always been very, very impressed with your skills. So, you know, I'd on a practical level and i think you there's a lot of things that you that you catch that you're very natural at but there's obviously things that you do practices that you do that that set yourself up to go into the field to see birds and to to find special birds because you do find a lot of really special birds so what what work do you do behind the scenes to prepare yourself to go out to be a better birder well it, this is going to sound kind of ironic but i never particularly focused on rare birds i've never 
really set myself on how to ID a rare bird. I've only ever focused on the common birds. Because once you learn the common birds, if it's not a common bird, it will stand out like a sore thumb. So if you ever do want to find something funny, my recommendation for it is learn everything else around you. If there's, if you're so familiar with the little stint, you can spot it from 40 meters away with the naked eye. If it's not a little stint, you'll pick it up. Yes, a redneck stint in non-breeding plumage in the middle of January is going to be impossible to pick up from a little stint, but like a white wagtail for a cape wagtail. I've seen so many cape wagtails and I've seen so many pied wagtails that this stood out immediately. Similar case with the wood warbler. I've seen so many willow warblers that when I saw this bird, it immediately stuck out as well. It's it's The plumage of it and the bull shape was just so different. I think that's really good advice because, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, you know, a lot of people, you know, guys like Adam Riley or, you know, these types of birders might have picked up and straight away said, okay, you're looking at a white wagtail. And, you know, almost what you said, you didn't know it was a white, a white wagtail necessarily, but you knew that it wasn't a cape wagtail. And I think that's a good piece of advice. You know, get out there and bird. One thing about you and your your father, you you guys are out birding all the time. And I think, you know, that that probably is what sets you up to, firstly, the fact that you're getting into the places where, where things are going to turn up, hopefully. And then number two, that you're so familiar with what is common that when something shows up that is even the, that is different, even the slightest way, you're immediately able to pick it up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's also very helpful having a family member that's birding, especially a close family member, because then I can travel with them and justify all these weird holidays to weird places. But yeah, I know definitely the best advice I can give is learn everything that's common. Learn the calls, learn the habits, learn the habitats, how it looks, how it walks, how it feeds, everything. Learn it to a T. Then the second one is different, you'll pick it up immediately. Yeah, I think that's something which you're very blessed with is your father. I mean, every time I go, I go out and I see you guys, you and your father are birding together. And, you know, from a young age, you've just been going out. And it's it must be such a blessing to have a father who just doesn't only support your hobby and doesn't just kind of drop you off at places to go bird, but it actually does it with you. And it's amazing just to see the the close relationship the two of you have. It's just really amazing. Yeah, I know, definitely having a father that's a bird is an absolute bless. It's it's so nice. It's it's um well having a brother that would be a birder would also I feel wouldn't be as nice because if he's the same age as me, he can't take me out birding. With my dad, he can't take me out birding and then not only, as he said, just drop me there and off, we can do it together, which is then something that I'm doing with my father which is always now spending family time with equal interests. If you're not interested in the same things, then it can become quite difficult sometimes. And then as as a question, who is the bigger life list, you or your father? <laughs> um, the bigger life list. See, my dad's been to New Zealand and he's got – but I think now with this Namibia trip I've done, I've just passed him on that as well. So I was pretty sure I have the bigger life. Southern Africa, I do have the biggest life list, but I think now globally I do too. As always, the Birding Life is proud to be associated with Sarofsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, 
www.thebirdinglife.com. If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com. So um, just another thing, you know, I've been obviously been birding with you at the Bird Club and even encountered you on the field. And, you know, one thing that I really think separates average birders from good birders. First is we've already spoken about that preparation that goes in. But the second thing I think is also how they approach their birding. It's interesting that, you know, you go with certain birders and, you know, if an average birder will go out and see, for example, X amount of species. But as soon as those better birders go out and bird, they, they're actually straight away able to see a whole lot more species. And there's, there's definitely something – about field skills that contributes to becoming a better birder. What advice um, would you give to birders? How do you approach your 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 birding out on the field? Yeah, I know field field work is definitely or field experience rather is definitely extremely helpful because when you're out there and you can see the bird. Reading a book, sure, you can pick up an illustration, and I used to do that all the time. But the second I started asking people everything and birding with other people and learning all these little things and asking weird questions that's another thing never be shy to ask a question if you think it's the stupidest question ever ask it anyway they'll answer it and you'll remember it or hopefully and then with that field experience that you then learn from going out there and asking questions and all of that you then in theory no longer need the book it's always great to have that with you as a handy thing to flip through every now and again especially if you forget something else to write notes in it's always best to learn like, like earlier learn what you're looking at so even if you travel to a different area if you get a lot of the same birds you know what that is so if something's different in that area you can then try and learn what that is and once you learn that, try and remember it. And then when you go back to that area some years later, you then know what you're looking at. So it's sort of really just a process of learning what's around you. And the more you learn around you, the more you find around you. And I think that advice you gave there about asking lots of questions is really important. I mean, a lot of us uh, had a chat to Hugh Chittenden a while ago. I had an opportunity to stay overnight at his house and just really had a long chat with him. And for those that don't know, he's probably one of South Africa's best birders and uh, him and even Fancy Peacock and all these guys that are these incredible birders and ornithologists, they all speak about the importance of asking questions where a lot of birders will see a bird sitting in a tree and say, cool, the bird's there. A lot of people, these guys are asking, well, if the bird's there, for example, why is the bird there? And 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 it leads you down, and make and I think it makes your birding a lot more interesting. Also, when you ask those questions, yes, especially if a bird's out of season, it's also interesting to try and figure out why it's out of season. Sometimes something just goes wrong, and the bird has no idea what it's doing with itself. But it's often very very helpful to learn its habits because different seasons might have different habits, different plumages, and all that. So. Asking, if you ask questions about that, it's not necessarily something that you have to then go out and see for yourself. So long as you know it from a person who's seen it, then it is something that you can keep with you for the field when you see it yourself. So two questions. Firstly, what would you say? Now, this is always a question that's very difficult for birders to answer, but what would you say is your favorite species of bird? And number two, what is your favorite place to bird at? Uh, yeah, no, asking about uh, what your favorite bird is is almost a sin for most birders. <laughs> no one can ever answer that question. 
But my most wanted bird in Southern Africa at the moment, which I'll probably have to lump as my favorite bird, is probably red-faced crimson wing or chestnut-fronted helmet truck. And then globally would probably have to be buff-breasted paradise kingfisher. He's definitely very high up there. Um, and then the other question that you asked there, what's my favorite place to bird? It really depends how I'm feeling. Like if I want to do mountain birding, then I always love going around Underberg, Sony Pass and that area. But if I want to do coastal birding, it's St. Lucia. Forest birding, there's a lovely little patch near me called uh, Everton, which is the Mulwenny Trails. It's not in Mulwenny, it's just the Mulwenny River. Um, and then also St. Lucia forest birding is great and definitely my favorite spot in Zululand. But it it really just depends on what type of birding I want to do. Because it's, it's every different area has different birds and different habitat and weather and all that. So it's, it's a difficult to answer question, I say. I think my answer for that question, I thought about this the other day because I always try to think, what is my favorite bird and what is my favorite place to bird, uh, to bird at? And I, I think the best answer I can probably give, which I've realized is probably true for myself, the best bird I've seen is the last bird I've seen. And my favorite place to bird is often the last place I've actually birded at because there's always when you leave that place, you know, you can go to the most ordinary place and if you bird it right, you can still have this really special experience and a lot of a lot of my favorite places are actually some local spots that are just places that nobody else goes and birds at i mean i'm going to mccusie this weekend but there's there's places locally that i would possibly say that i even prefer to birding at mccusie and they're just they're really special to me it's places that i know that i've discovered that i spend hours in and i think yeah i think it's it's a lot of factors like you said it's 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 not an easy question to answer because I think sometimes that local patch has just something special because you, it's like it's a place that you know better than a lot of other people. And I think there's something there's something special about that. Yeah, no, no, no. it's definitely something very special about that. I've taken a few people birding at Mulwenny and some people say they didn't even know it was there. Some people birded there said they didn't even know half of the birds that we got that day were there. Um, but I must be honest, what you just said about the best, your favorite place to bird is probably the best statement you can say about that question i think i'm going to answer that question from now on with that answer i'm stealing that from you that is the best answer you can give for that question i really agree so and you know it's interesting you know often i I know declan one thing about yourself is you really you really have a passion for nature you know when i've been out birding with you you've got this way of where you're really passionate and you you're not a a loud person you're quite a, a soft person in i'll probably say you're probably a bit more of an introvert than an extrovert but when you get into nature it's almost like you've got this way of drawing the people around you into your world and it's your your passion is actually really contagious and that's something which i think is really special about who you are as a birder but you know the thing i've discovered is this and you speak about that you know the last place and sometimes there's, there's, there's birds that are so common that we often forget about. I mean, if you just think about, for example, a village weaver, when they you, to, to sit and watch a village weaver weaving a nest, I mean, it's something that we often forget about. It's this beautiful bird with this beautiful plumage, this yellow plumage with this, speck, this beautiful contrast on its back, and it makes us this amazing nest. And oftentimes we, we drive past and say, oh, what's that? Oh, it's just a weaver, and we move to the next bird. And I think sometimes we... We miss sometimes 
what is ordinary, we miss just how special they actually are because we're trying to rush onto that next bird. Yeah, no, that is, I can't say I've actually given a village weaver too much attention. But it is a stunning-looking bird. I've, they come to my feed, and I've photographed a few of them there. But the one bird that I very much enjoy watching that I get to see fairly often is grey pendulantit. I love the way they hang upside down along branches and feed and just scurry up everywhere. They're absolutely stunning birds. But watching the common birds is something that one should definitely try and focus on doing, especially because if it's an uncommon bird, like I said earlier, you'll pick it up. Now, I remember having a chat to Fancy a while ago, and he was talking about there was I can't actually can't remember which bird it, bird it was to be very honest with you, but he was speaking about these birds were nesting near to his stays, and he he you know he went there every afternoon to go and check these birds out, and you know it's, it it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's about having this hunger for knowledge, and I think sometimes that is the thing because the truth is I've said this many times. The truth is that. You know, if you we chase, there's nothing wrong with chasing after birds. We just spoke about chase, you know, chasing after the white wagtail. There's something exciting about that, but you're not always going to add a new bird to your list. And sometimes I think what enhances and makes your birding even better is by is by taking the time to notice what's around you and to, to and and to even deepen your birding experiences with those birds. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Well, Sapu, yeah. Earlier, the reason we went there was a lesser chicken. I've seen a lesser chicken a couple of times. I just Wanted to get it close for the area, I guess, and it's always good when you're out birding to take note of the habitat and what's happening with the habitat, because the habitat is starting to become good for certain species, and you must start looking out for those species in that area. Like the lesser jacana was hanging out in a highly vegetated area that wasn't vegetated before, and if it if someone noticed that the vegetation started coming in, maybe that's why they went and found the lesser jacana there. No. We spoke about this earlier, and I mentioned that you have this, not this love of nature that's just, just as restricted to birds, but you have snakes. You spoke about how you, you're, you're starting to get into trees and frogs and all these kinds of things. How do you think that your holistic love of nature, so going into nature and where, where some people are just seeing birds, but you not just seeing birds, but you almost it's almost like you see the full tapestry of what nature offers. You, you see the full spectrum of what nature offers before you see the trees, you see the birds, you see the the frogs, you possibly see the insects, and you've got this hunger for knowledge and this hunger to grow more and understand what what's happening around you better. How do you feel that that contributes to making you a better birder? Well, I think keeping a side, well, I don't know if you would call it a side hobby, but it's like a secondary interest per se is always the best because if you're out birding, and you're not getting a lot of birds and maybe you're getting a little bit bored, then you can shift onto frogs or snakes. Or even while you're birding, you're looking out for snakes and frogs and saying, oh, this is a good spot for snakes. Maybe I should come here and look for snakes. Now, that's a spot that maybe not won't be so good for birds, but may have a lot of snakes. And frog-wise as well, I think is also quite important, especially for bird uh, water birds, because frogs are always a sign of good water quality. Wherever there's lots of frogs, the water's very good. And wherever there's good water, there's lots of everything, really. So seeing frogs, especially like reed frogs, leaf-folding frogs, like sappy, I found a greater leaf-folding frog and a golden leaf-folding frog, which was quite nice, especially because I haven't seen golden leaf-folding frog. So it's just looking at the little things like that. You always pick up something you aren't expecting. 
you're looking for something so big and then when you look at the little things you realize that there's so many little things that it constitutes a big thing so it's quite nice so you spoke earlier about the influence that your father's had in your life and i really think that's tremendous that your father has played such a uh, an important role in your life uh, i just you know i've got to know your father the years and he's an incredible person but other than your father who are some other birders that you've looked up to and learned from and what are some lessons that you've learned from these people? Garth Aston is a is a very I actually have don't know if that's how you pronounce his surname. I'm pretty sure it is, but he's he's a very big part of my birding career, if you will. Because when I was about five or six years old, he uh, had bird ringing that was close to my house, so we went there, and that's probably if I didn't go bird ringing with Garth, I can't actually say that I would have been birding still maybe i would have picked it up a little bit with looking for frogs and snakes but with bird ringing and having the birds in hand and seeing all the intricacies of the feathers up close and all of that played a very big part with me still being interested in birds and still keeping up to date and going out seeing all the birds bird ring is actually also very useful for identification because you see the little things that you might not notice just looking through binos but once you know them from in the hand, you start to pick them up through the barnacles. And then another person, this was, he, I believe he still is, but he was at the time the youngest person to get to 800 or the first person to be 18 and get to 800 was John Kinghorn. And that stuck out for me because that was the first time I'd ever seen a young person doing things in the big world because I was just a kid that was birding with my father at the time but when I saw John Kinghorn doing such big things I realized that it is actually possible for a young person to be a good birder and I started really like digging into myself there and learning all of that and then a few years after that I decided okay now I'm going to start taking this seriously I'm just going to start learning everything and then sort of just kicked off from there and then I met John Kinghorn and Tony Geddes and now Tony's a very good friend of mine, and I've learned so many birding intricacies from Tony and John, and it's 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 quite nice knowing people that growing up I saw, I saw I didn't really see too much of Tony growing up, but I did see John, and that stuck with me. And then once I got to know Tony, then I've now asked Tony quite a few things about birds' IDs and intricacies, and it especially uh, ethics. It's always good learning ethics from other birders, but not just one birder, two birders. It's You've got to learn it from everyone because everyone's got their own little thing and then you can apply that to yours and it helps uplifts you as a birder as well. So Declan, just last question. I think it's, it's been really fascinating to chat to you. I hope this is not going to be the last time. I'll definitely have you on the show again. Um, but the question I want to, maybe when you get your next big rarity, we'll have you back on the show. How's that? <laughs> yeah, hopefully I find a, a citron wagtail or Maybe if if we're thinking big here, maybe a Sardinian warbler. I'd love that in Southern Africa. But yeah, I'll, I'll I'll definitely be back again. So the question I want to ask now is is what does the future look like for you? Because you've been a fantastic birder and you have this holistic love of nature. And I really cannot see someone like yourself who doesn't like wearing shoes, working in an office and working a nine to five job. What does the future? What what would you like to see in the future for your life? I am most definitely becoming a bird guide most definitely um i've got a little tour coming up in it's not particularly little in december it will be more of a training tour though just to 
get myself ready and all that with Busted's Birding and I'll hopefully start guiding for Busted's Birding after that and have a job as a bird guide. That would be fantastic. So Declan's been awesome to chat to you and for any listeners out there, uh, I do encourage you to follow Declan on social media. I'll pop all his um, relevant links into the notes to the show. But, and also if you're looking for a fantastic bird guide, you know, make, make get, get in touch with him. He'll probably be working for a big company by then. But Declan, it's been so cool to chat to you. And once again, congratulations on the awesome find. And I can't wait to have you on the show. And all, all the best for birding, birding Big Day also on Saturday. Yeah, thank you. You too. It's been a, a wonderful little talk that we've had here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, feel free to drop us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.